Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of May 19th, open to interpretation. I'm your host, Dan Creator, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the recent resilience in credit spreads and two different ways to interpret it with ramifications for the near-term path. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Dan, it's been an eventful two weeks since our last episode. We were off last week recording a macro monthly roundtable with the broader team. And since our last recording, we've had a non-farm payrolls report that missed by about a million jobs. We've had CPI come in at 0.9% month over month. We saw a 10 basis point, basically round trip on the 10-year, and equities moved as much as 4% lower by mid last week. So with all this volatility going on, surely credit spreads have moved significantly, haven't they? Right, you'd think so, but it's actually been shocking the resilience with which credit spreads have traded in recent weeks. So credit spreads haven't really moved much, but they've actually moved narrower and hit new cyclical tights on Monday. So spreads in the ICE BAML index are around 91 basis points right now. They're around 86 basis points in the Bloomberg Barclays index. Either way, those are post-pandemic lows and just a couple basis points off of post-financial crisis tights. So since the financial crisis, there's only about three sessions in which credit spreads were trading lower than they are currently. For a couple days in February of 2018, credit spreads were narrower than they are right now, but we're really only a couple basis points from being at 14-year tights in the index. But Dan, back to your point about the resilience in credit spreads, given all of this volatility and these bouts of risk-off market sentiment, credit spreads barely budged and moved you know, no more than a basis point wider over the past couple of weeks. And it's truly been an encouraging sign for credit investors, I think, that there's been just such a bid for corporate debt out there. Yeah, I think the main theme for the past couple of weeks is resilience. You mentioned the new lows, and I agree we'll talk about that later, but we are talking about a narrowing of like one to two basis points over the last two weeks. It's not like it's been a big move. We were sort of hovering around those low levels before. The big thing for me is the resilience. I mean, we plugged it into our model, and granted, models are far from perfect, but you know, mid last week following the CPI print, with a 4% sell off in equities and about a 10 basis point move in treasuries, historically, that would correlate with a spread move of as much as 30 13 basis points, and we had zero. So yeah, I mean, we've talked about in previous episodes about the range, how, how we thought that, you know, very little would be able to impact spreads here, both from an economic data perspective, and from an earnings season perspective. We saw the strongest earnings in, in at least a decade recently, spreads didn't narrow, we've seen some uncertainty on economic data, spreads didn't widen, it's nothing's really moving. And I think that's reflective of how strong these range-bound forces are as we await the economic reopening and how much optimism is really priced into spreads. But but we should mention that spreads did indeed get to a new low. And while there's not really technical levels in the credit spread market like there is in treasuries, 
we saw the broad indices bounce off. You know, I'll just use Bloomberg Barclays as an example here. We saw them bounce off that 87, 88 basis point range at least four times this year and then finally break narrower in the last week. So while it's not per se technicals, I do think that there is a psychological impact of that for investors that see spreads breaking to new lows despite the volatility and uncertainty we've had recently that really could put some gasoline into the rally and drive spreads narrower. But we should also acknowledge, Dan, you talked about how we're basically at historical lows. We're one basis point off the lows, and even those lows only held for whatever three trading sessions. But I think you can make a pretty compelling argument that we're actually probably at all-time lows right now. Yeah, certainly when you adjust the index for certain metrics that account for a riskier index as a whole, I think you could make a pretty compelling argument that spreads really are near all-time tights. So if we look back in 2007, at the last time that spreads were really sustainably lower than current levels, the portion of the index that was AA or AAA rated was about a quarter of the index. Right now, that's only about 9%. Triple B's made up only 35% of the index in 2007, and it's over half now. And then from a duration standpoint, there's just more risk in the index today. The effective duration was under six in 2007, and it's about eight and a half currently. So just looking at these different metrics, it really drives home the point to me, just how much optimism is priced into credit spreads and how tight the index is trading. And to your point earlier, I think it also raises the bar for further outperformance. The question to me becomes what is going to drive credit spreads narrower from here? And it's going to take a lot, I think. That's the key question, Dan, and, and you make a pretty strong argument. I think that for the rest of this podcast, at least, we, let's just say spreads are effectively at the all-time lows. How can we interpret that? And I really think that there are two different interpretations for it. The first one is, and what we've been describing for the past few weeks, is just this Goldilocks scenario that we've been talking about for the past few episodes, where the economic recovery is proceeding mostly in line with expectations, but there are a few wobbles here and there, like the NFP print we just had most recently, that keep the Fed at the party longer than may be expected. And obviously, the inflation print on its face is not a contributory factor there. But you know, we are firmly, at least now, in quote-unquote inflation is transitory mode, and we're basically seemingly discarding that inflation print is transitory. So, you know, you've got this Goldilocks scenario for now where spreads can continue to be very narrow and maybe even grind slightly narrower, but the minute that the recovery proves either too hot or too cold, we'll see a widening in credit spreads. We just haven't seen that yet. The second interpretation is just that spreads are fundamentally lower now than they have been in years past. And I think there's a strong argument here for that. You, know, you could say that within the last 12, 13 months, we have a sort of central bank that's demonstrated a willingness to purchase corporate paper for the first time in history, which really puts a floor there. You know, The central bank is telling us that if something bad happens, if there's another stressed period, they're going to step in and not only try to avoid any bankruptcy, a full loss to the investor, but also provide liquidity to investors if they should need it at some point in time. So from a textbook perspective, when we think about what a credit spread is and that default premium or downgrade premium, whatever you want to call it, that was a key component, if not the key component of credit spreads, and that is arguably fundamentally lower now than it was even just a year ago. So if we accept this argument that spreads should be fundamentally lower, maybe there is still room for spreads to narrow significantly from here, and that actually the uncertainty of the past few weeks regarding employment and inflation has been an upward pressure, which has kept spreads anchored where they are and has prevented that narrowing. I think those are the two broad interpretations. And 
I really want to focus on that because if those are the two interpretations, what's the one unifying factor that applies to both that we can really use to try and build an outlook for credit? And in my view, that's probably inflation at this point. Because if inflation proves to not be transitory, regardless of which interpretation you're applying here, higher inflation should mean higher credit spread. So for me, as I'm building my outlook for credit in the next few weeks and months, it seems to all focus on inflation. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's definitely going to come to inflation, even if we won't have much clarity on the inflation picture for the next couple of months. That is going to be what the market focuses on, and that's going to be the next factor that's able to drive credit spreads. With respect to the second interpretation you talked about, which is the sort of implicit backstop from the Fed, I think that's likely going to remain a factor. I don't think we're necessarily going to see that tested anytime soon, but as long as that remains in the background, that certainly should be a factor that it provides downward pressure on credit. It sort of is a structural shift now where we are likely to see just narrower credit spreads in general, as long as that paradigm doesn't change. I don't disagree with you there, Dan, but I do also want to point out that that 2018 environment where you talked about the three trading sessions where we saw spreads narrower, Treasury yields were significantly higher. You know, so if we're looking at this being a regime shift in terms of credit, and I don't disagree, but that would argue to me then that we have significant narrowing potential given how low Treasury yields are now. Not just we could move five basis points, like we could be 15 or 20 basis points narrower to reach the same percentage of Treasuries that we reached in 2018. And then if there's a fundamental different view, it could be even lower than that. Because for me, what really changes is not just the absolute spread to treasuries, but also the percentage pickup compared to treasuries if credit spreads are now fundamentally lower. No, I think that's definitely the case. There's certainly narrowing potential for credit spreads in the medium term, but there's a couple factors that we need to see more clarity on in order for credit spreads to really start to move substantially narrower. The first is, of course, inflation. If the market does continue to accept inflation as a transitory phenomenon, then I do think the next move for credit is going to be narrower. And you talked about how credit spreads were narrower in 2018, despite higher treasury yields. And that's true. But the other technical factor that was less of a headwind than it is now is corporate supply. And I think if we saw corporate supply start to abate, that would be another narrowing pressure in credit. Of course, corporate supply is nearly historically heavy right now. Throwing out the 2020 supply experience, corporate supply is the heaviest on record this year. And so that's just another widening factor that we could see alleviated in the medium term. I'm glad you brought up supply because it's another key point that I forgot to make earlier is that this resilience we've seen in credit spreads, truly remarkable resilience really, has come alongside still heavy supply. We've seen really no slowing in supply. We had the big Amazon $18.5 billion jumbo deal last week. Supply is again heavy this week. It's going to either reach or come very close to the expectations in the $30 billion range. So supply hasn't slowed down. And so I agree with what you're saying. If we do see a slowdown in supply, that that should be a narrower. But the other thing with supply that I want to focus here on is and again, bring it back to inflation as being the key driving factor in the weeks and months ahead, is that at least part of the reason why supply hasn't weighed on the market so much is because rates are so low that even with higher debt and higher leverage ratios, really, there hasn't been a market increase in debt service for corporations yet. But if we see rates move higher, which is a necessity if there's anything less than quote-unquote transitory inflation, then we're going to see that start to really impact more debt-laden companies. And I think that has to be a widening influence on credit. So we looked at this in our weekly on Friday, and we'd urge listeners who are interested to give that a look. 
but we sort of took inventory of corporate balance sheets at the end of Q1 versus the end of 2019, which we're viewing as our sort of pre-recession, pre-pandemic benchmark, which is the last quarter before this wave of funding really took place and before the market really took a dive in March of 2020. What we found was that corporate balance sheets aren't really in a significantly worse place now than they were at the end of 2019. The one potential cause for concern would be debt ratios, which have seen you know, net debt to EBITDA increase from about three to three and a quarter for the median company in our index. But interest coverage is actually in a much better place right now than it was at the end of 2019. And like you said, that's due entirely to lower rates, lower spreads, and Fed accommodation. And to your point, yes, it is going to come back to inflation because if rates do rise sustainably, particularly in a disorderly fashion, that is going to really weigh on corporate balance sheets and it's going to impact the fundamental creditworthiness of the companies that we track. We've talked about a lot of factors now. We talked about supply, we talked about even fundamental theoretical spread relationships and I think all of that is at play here. All of that exerts slow sustainable pressure on spreads. What's going to be the determinant of the next large move, I think, is going to be inflation. And specifically, the answer to this question, is inflation transitory or not? So that's where I want to go here really quickly. And I think we actually have a bit of a divergent view here. But the way I'm viewing inflation right now is that I do think that inflation will ultimately prove transitory for the reasons that are well known to all investors listening to this podcast. You know, base effects, of course, supply side bottlenecks, and then the longer term drivers of inflation, demographics, technology, all that. But I personally think there will come a moment in the next few months where, you know, we have a consensus right now on the market that inflation is transitory. It's what the Fed expects. It's what the market expects. I think that there will come a moment in the next few months where the market gets scared. The conviction around inflation being truly transitory, I think we're going to lose that at some point in time in the next few months, just given how high the inflation prints are going to be. I think we're going to see some evidence of wage inflation. And even that might not be sustainable you know, in the long run. But even short-term indications of higher wage inflation from even companies having to increase their wages a little bit to entice workers that are maybe content to enjoy unemployment benefits in the moment, to bring them back into the market, or even just the structural impact of people that have left the workforce to take care of kids or whatever it is during the virus or for health concerns, and maybe their labor supply is more inelastic and they're not coming back. So we just have lower labor supply, so there's going to be an increase in wage inflation no, no matter what. I think we're going to see even potentially a small bump in wage inflation in the next couple months. And just given inflation's nature, where you know it's by definition sort of lagging, and by the time you see the beginnings of inflation, at least theoretically, you're already behind the curve, I just think that the market's going to lose confidence in the idea that inflation is transitory in the next few months. And it's at that moment that I think treasury yields will move higher. The credit spreads will widen, and that's when I'll be looking to buy. Because I do think ultimately inflation is going to prove transitory. I just think we're going to lose confidence on that. Dan, how are you looking at things? Yeah, so I agree that inflation is likely to be transitory this time around. I think last Wednesday's inflation print was a very interesting indication of where the market stands on that. You know, the print was extremely high. I'll just go over some of the numbers really quick, but 0.9% month over month in core CPI. That's a really high print. And the market didn't really do much. I think that just illustrates what a high bar it is for the market to really buy that there's inflation. 
Yes, the Fed has really messaged the base effects in that coming inflation would be transitory, but you can't really attribute that 0.9% month-over-month growth in core prices to base effects. It was probably due to supply chain issues and maybe the market's looking past it primarily because of that. But there's been a long-running narrative out there in the market that inflation has been dead for a long time. We haven't had significant inflation really since the 80s. I think it's going to take a lot of evidence for the market to really start to believe any accelerating inflation and inflation expectations are really going to take off here. Very valid points, Dan. Obviously, neither one of us is going to be proven right or wrong here on this podcast. But I think where we can agree is that what's likely to happen is this range bond environment is going to continue probably for at least the next month even six weeks until we start getting more data points from an economic perspective. We start to see how robust this economic recovery actually is. We start to see if workers start to come back to the economy, if that participation rate comes up, or if we're going to have wage inflation. These are the key factors, and we're not going to know for four to six weeks at the earliest. So I think where we can agree is that we're still going to see range-bound trading, and then it's where spreads go from there where we sort of diverge. I think in the long run, we're probably also aligned that spreads are going to be narrower Compared to historicals throughout this economic cycle, I think we're going to see spreads narrower even than we had following the global financial crisis on a percentage of treasury basis because of the fundamental arguments we've talked about before. So long term, certainly bullish on spreads. The only place where I deviate from you is that I think we'll get that moment of panic, if you will, and we'll see if it comes. Finally then, Dan, before we go, I wanted to at least briefly talk about swap spreads because we've had some volatility there as well in the past week or two. Specifically, we had another leg lower in swap spreads led by the long end and bringing the long end to lows not seen in three years. So I wanted to at least just talk very briefly about the drivers of that move in swap spreads as well as what we're looking for in the future. And to start that conversation, I think we have to look at what drove the move across the curve since we know now, given LIBOR cessation, that the short end and the long end of the curve are being driven by two very different factors. I mean, that was sort of always the case, but it's even more true today. So looking at the short end, Dan, what was driving the narrowing in swap spreads we've seen over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, to sum it up, it's really been about just this sheer amount of cash in the system in the front end that has kept funding rates low, both repo and unsecured funding rates like LIBOR. And so as a result of that, we've just had compression of front end rates, and that's led to narrow swap spreads. And it's unclear to me what's going to resolve these narrow swap spreads. So I think for the near term, it's probably best to keep a neutral stance on front end swap spreads. Yeah. I mean, to your point, LIBOR reached its all-time low, what, just two days ago? As so much cash in the financial system without enough high-quality credit out the short end has just forced out the credit spectrum, and that's going to continue. I mean, we're expecting another $450 billion in reduction in Treasury's cash account at the Fed between now and the end of July. It's just this reserve oversupply is just going to continue, keeping LIBOR very low and swap spreads very narrow, to be honest with you. And to answer your question, what's going to fix this? I think the only answer is time. I think we know that you know now, for the first time really since the crisis began— the treasury supply is now outstripping Fed purchases. That net treasury supply has turned positive. There's a long way to go, obviously, but that net positive issuance is going to continue to grow as the treasury's deficit grows. And over time, we're going to get to a point where that cash collateral equilibrium is restored, but it's not soon. So I agree with your neutral outlook on short end spreads. I don't see any widening there, even if I also don't really see much more potential for narrowing with LIBOR at 14 basis points or 15 basis points nowadays. Tough to think it will keep narrowing. So now looking further out the curve, obviously the relationship between LIBOR and other short-term rates, 
not as important further out the curve. Rather, you have more technical forces, you know, demand for treasuries, particularly from banks, you know, what are pension funds doing? What's hedging demand looking like from both an issuance perspective as well as convexity hedging, blah, 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 blah. And looking at last week, it's difficult to really even attribute the sell-off to any one factor. It seems like the weakness in swap spread started following the CPI release, just a cash move potentially arising from the 10 basis point widening in treasury yields, just sort of a sell-off in cash treasuries that narrows swap spreads. And then what ends up happening is you start rinsing out some longs. And I think that was the the key narrative following the sell-off last Thursday is just we we hit some stop losses and the sell-off became self-reinforcing and we got to the lows of the past three years. So it just had all the appearances of a technical move. It didn't seem to be anything from an issuance perspective. The move in treasuries, not large enough to trigger any real gamma moves. I just think it was a technical thing. And if that's the case, you know, we'd naturally expect those factors to fade given just a little bit of time. And so if we expect short-end spreads to not really move, but some of that long and narrowing pressure to come off. I think where I prefer to be right now would be in a swap spread steepener. I don't have high conviction on the outright level of spreads here, but I do think steeper curves, just given the amount of narrowing we've had, makes a lot of sense. Naturally, the key risk there is the SLR. We still don't know what's going to happen with the SLR. Still no details from the Fed, even regarding timelines. And the big question there is, is it going to be reserves and treasuries or just reserves that get exempted? or something else. But those are the two main options. And and I personally think it's going to be both reserves and treasuries. We heard at the last FOMC press conference that the Fed is looking at liquidity conditions in the treasury market. And there is some concern that intermediation wasn't strong enough last March and that they want to be taking steps. They mentioned possible treasury market reform last month to try to take steps to increase liquidity. Well, one way you can do that without significant reform is to just provide some SLR relief for treasuries. So I, I think that factors into the decision. I think they will both be exempted. And I think that's ultimately a widening influence on longer end swap spreads. And then, you know, throw on top of it the fact that the Fed has announced a, a small tweak to QE purchases, just putting a little more emphasis on that belly to long end of the curve. That doesn't hurt either. So we've seen some steepening since late last week. That's where I'd like to stay positioned probably until either there's a significant change in the shape of the swap spread curve or we get more details on the SLR. Yeah, and just from a high level with respect to long-end swap spreads, given the amount of stimulus in the system, the excess liquidity that we talked about with respect to short-end spreads, there's reason to think that playing the range is going to be the most beneficial strategy here as swap spreads sort of bounce around. And without the benefit of hindsight to know with certainty whether this is the bottom of the range, it certainly does feel that way. And so wideners, I think, make a lot more sense than narrowers, at least from a tactical perspective right now. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Uh, Given the accommodation and how much cash there is, I think the range is the most important thing. So a good point, Dan. Okay, well, looking down at the recorder, we're over half an hour now, and we have somehow not talked yet about the most important thing in all of finance, the sell-off in cryptocurrencies. Belton, you want to talk about that real quick? No, I think we'll save that conversation for a different day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. 
You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 